welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 15 for June 8th, 2010. Yes, episode 15. So we'll be reviewing uh, Star Trek The Early Voyages, uh, which came out by Marvel in August 1997, September and October. Yep, I think so, so. so that, that makes last sense. Issue, that would make sense. That last <laughs> issue was a uh, Halloween special, I guess. Oh, so therefore, uh, lots of uh, nano action, since yeah, those he, guys do kind of look like. Uh, yeah, that was definitely that, that's going to be a, definitely a big nano uh, episode. There you go. That's what I always liked about Star Trek, in that you know you could have you know your Picard episode, and then you would have a Worf episode, and then you would have you know like every once in a while. Uh, a pretty minor character, maybe not minor, but you know, suddenly there would be a, you know, like a quirk episode. You know, and the episode would mainly focus on just some random guy, not just the captain. So, uh, so issue number nine is definitely a nano episode. Yep. And you know, interesting, you brought up Halloween because, uh, of course, that made me th- think of aliens, and then aliens makes me think of the 1950s and Roswell and all that kind of thing. And uh, I must say that Nano and his people do kind of look like the uh, prototypical uh, 1950s bug-eyed aliens. Yeah, they do. And I have some, I have some comments about the way they're depicted uh, when, we, when we start reviewing that one. Cool. Something to look forward but, to? Yep. So before we get started, though, I wanted to uh, share some uh, some bad news, uh, or at least bad news for me. And, and you're going to laugh because uh, it, it's kind of sad. But anyways, this weekend, my son and I ate our last bowl of Star Trek the cereal. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so you stocked up, apparently. Yeah, when the, uh, the DVD came out and they suddenly released all this uh, Kellogg Star Trek cereal, uh, I bought lots of boxes. And uh, we we ate our last bowl this last weekend. <laughs> Dang! What, I know. Now, right? I'm wondering, was that as good as the Star Trek Eggos? Was that uh, like I, Eggo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was some uh, Eggo waffles that uh, had like pictures of uh, like the Enterprise and the Starfleet logo, and um, and I think there was like a Ahura one and a Spock one. So they were like actually little pictures inside of the Eggos. I, I never ate those, but my my kids sure ate them up. So they must have uh, they must have been good. That's what great <laughs> cross marketing opportunities there are. And, and what's funny is that the uh, the cereal was basically just Lucky Charms, but with little Starfleet marshmallows and the instead oh, of the cereal man. pieces, it was like a little little galaxy shape. I, f- I feel like I have missed a great opportunity. I I never bought a box. Dang. I know, man, and now they're all gone. I, I, I still look when I go to the store just in case they uh, they might have found an extra box or two. But uh, it, but the thing is, is that it tastes like crap. I mean, <laughs> 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 they weren't all that good. But for whatever reason, my my son, who's three, he would eat them all, even the little galaxy pieces, which were like flavorless uh, Lucky Charm cereal pieces. So when he eats Lucky Charms, he won't eat the cereal pieces. He only eats the marshmallows. But for oh, whatever reason. 
for whatever reason, Star Trek, he would eat all of it. Wow, cool. But anyways, I just thought it was funny. That That is very cool. So uh, what do you think, Tribble? Okay, thanks, Tribble. Yeah, you you better keep him. A, you better keep him away from the uh, cereal because he'll he'll start rep, uh, replicating. Exactly, or, or keep him away from the first issue today, since uh, it is a Klingon. Oh, did, I, I said the word Klingon episode issue. Yeah, and ironically enough, they're on a grain planet, so that triple oh. would have had a blast. Oh yeah, cool. All right, so let's just jump straight into the the synopsis. I get this one. So the issue was called The Flat Gold Forever, which I don't understand the title. I'm sure it's in reference to something, but it, it eludes me. Yeah, I, I think it refers to the uh, the farming planet with a bunch of wheat. Right. I get the gold part, but, but the, the font is weird because it says the flat, the flat gold, and then the word forever is written in this, this weird font. So uh, Yeah, I don't, it's kind of scripty get... kind of font. Right, so it's supposed to be the flat gold forever or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it is an odd, it's an odd title. Until yeah. until I started reading far enough into it where there was a lot of like uh, wheat crops, I thought, what the heck is this about? Yeah. All right, so let's jump into it. So uh, writers were Ian Edginton and Dan Abnett. Penciler is Patrick Zercher. Inker, Greg Adams. Colorist, uh, Marie Jarvins. Letterer Janice Chang, editor Bobby Chase, and editor in chief Bob Harris. So, uh, just on a side note, I-, I was looking up who Bob Harris was. He was actually the editor in chief of all of Marvel at this time, oh. not just the Star Trek books. And this woman, Bobby Chase, she was the editor of um, uh, a few of the Star Trek titles, um, and uh, she was also like a head of like some Marvel. Uh, push that was towards like older teens versus the I guess the kids so uh, she was a, a big shot there at Marvel so uh, they they didn't quite have the jobs that I thought they did so I thought maybe Bob Harris was just the all the Star Trek titles but no he was he was all of Marvel at the time wow all so, right so like Stanley used to be or yeah I guess so because uh, Stanley I think was semi-retired by this yeah. point right just making cameos in movies and stuff. Exactly. And fine cameos, too. Some of them. Some of them were a little weird. Well, but anyways. What? I thought he did a great job as you or uh, as what? Larry King. Yeah, I thought, the, I thought the Larry King one was weird. And, but I liked the <laughs> Hugh Hefner one in, uh, in the first Iron Man. Right. But anyways, we're not here to talk about Stanley. All right, so the synopsis. So uh, we get the shuttlecraft Icarus. Uh, of the Enterprise, which is crash-landing on a planet called Prairie. A woman, uh, who is later revealed as being a Claire Thorne, that's her name, Claire Thorne, uh, observes the wreck from a huge uh, harvester, and she mounts a rescue using some type of hovercraft. And, and the whole planet is just one large wheat field. So uh, she's on the hovercraft, she arrives to the wreck, and she finds a Pike, who's been thrown from the wreckage, and he's delirious and claims that he is not safe. Uh, aboard the battle cruiser uh, Varchus, which we saw in previous episodes, uh, we see Commander. Is his name Kaj? I say Kaj. Yeah, so Commander Kaj 
is uh, chastising his crew for not capturing the shuttlecraft, um, which obviously is, is Pike shuttlecraft. Uh, he's about to um, take out his temper uh, um, on a guy named Kerr uh, when a, a woman part of the crew named uh, Verka. Uh, she basically rats out another crewman and, and blames like this guy named Colge, claiming that he gave uh, he gave uh, the first guy Kerr bad data, and then Kaj basically claims that he knew it all along and uh, he just kills that Colge guy straight there on the bridge. Um, so as as Colge's body is disintegrating there on the bridge, Kerr explains that he was able to track the shuttle to the nearby planet. So now we're back aboard the Enterprise. Number one is explaining how they are arriving to the space station to perform repairs because uh, in the last couple issues the ship's been beat up pretty bad. Uh, she is contacted by an Admiral Mayheron uh, who requests to speak to Pike. And number one's confused uh, since the Admiral just recently contacted Pike about his ailing father. Uh, Mahirin, uh, however you say his name, says that he just spoke to uh, Josh Pike, which is Captain Pike's father, and that he's not ill at all. So something's, something's going on here. So back on the Harvester, uh, Pike regains consciousness, and he finds out that uh, there is not any communications equipment on this backwater planet. Uh, as he and Claire discuss the situation, they see some smoke coming from a uh, nearby settlement, uh, using binoculars, they see that the Klingons are just uh, going through the settlement and, and killing people, looking for Pike. Uh, as they're seeing this, some other Klingons came aboard the Harvester and take Pike captive. Uh, so they're, uh, through the communicator, Pike and Kaj discuss what happened. Uh, Kaj created a fake message to lure Pike away from the Enterprise. Uh, Pike attempts an escape. Uh, he gets a gun and kills one of the Klingon captors. Uh, a firefight ensues there on the harvester. And uh, Claire uh, takes out a Klingon, and we find out that she's actually ex-Starfleet. Uh, um, and then as Pike tries to take a hovercraft away from the uh, the harvester, uh, it gets shot down. Uh, Claire is also knocked unconscious by uh, a rifle butt to the head. Uh, Pike is hiding in the uh, wheat stalks or corn stalks, whatever it is. And some Klingons are, are in the field looking for him. They can't find him. Kaj basically orders that the Klingon ship target the Klingons on the, on, in the field and just start shooting. Uh, and, and explains that eventually they'll uh, get Pike because he has to be somewhere around there. So as the orders are being carried out, the Enterprise shows up and fires on them. Kaj orders a retreat. And the crew of the Enterprise uh, put out the fires and help with the injured. So in the end, we get a little epilogue where Pike explains that Claire is going to actually return back to Starfleet. Uh, number one explains how they got some co the uh, coordinates of Kaja's ship from some unknown source. And Pike and number one basically contemplate if the unknown uh, source is a friend of the Federation or just another enemy who happens to hate Kaj more than they hate the Federation. And it ends there. So we have a little mystery going on. Would that informant be? Yeah, I'm actually kind of curious to know who it is. I'm sure they want you to be, as am I. So they, they've kind of mentioned that, or they keep bringing up the Tholian, so I'm wondering if, if they're going to come back, because Claire says that her ship 
the ship that she was on was uh, killed by Tholians or or something to that effect. And then they talk more about some Tholian attacks here in the next couple issues. So it kind of makes me wonder if maybe they're bringing that to our attention on purpose or if it's just some sort of red herring. Yeah, I don't know. But I will say it's interesting in this series as well as the uh, what the new voyages, um, how prominent a bad guy the Tholians are. When in so, the original series, I mean, I only heard them re- referenced in the Tholian web, the one the one episode that I recall. Right. You said the new voyages, or do you mean New Frontier? New Frontier. Oh, okay. That's what I meant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think they're in the Tholian web, and then they're in uh, they're in that the mirror episode of Enterprise. Oh, okay. Yeah, because if you remember, yeah, I don't remember the, about that, but well, it actually makes sense because the the Tholian web, the the whole thing is that there's that ship, the Defiant, is getting sucked through some sort of spatial anomaly, and that's the reason why Enterprise is there to try to help out, and then they get captured by the Tholians, um, and the Defiant actually disappears. And then in the Enterprise episode, we find out that the Defiant actually goes back in time into the Mirror Universe and is actually captured by the Tholians. So it kind of made sense why the Tholians uh, reappeared in that series. And they were all CG now instead of that that weird puppet that we got in the the first movie or the first episode. Right. But anyways, I I hope that they they do come back because I'd like to see them in, in comic book form. Yeah, they're definitely prominent in these two. And uh, they were barely mentioned in the uh, other series, the TV series. But, yes, they, they seem to be good bad guys. Well, they're the one non-humanoid type alien that we ever got in Star Trek, right? So almost all aliens look just like humans with bumpy foreheads or weird ears. Right. So the, the Tholian was like the one exception, that this was a crystalline being of some sort. And interesting that they were reincarnated, re-envisioned for the uh, New Frontier Stories. I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering what what you're talking about. The comic book. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the Tholian leader, the Thor, the Tholian nobleman who was on uh, on Excalibur. No, that's not Tholian. That those are different guys. Okay, you're talking about like Saquon. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, they're they're not Tholian. They're it's just spelt slightly different, but it looks like it would be pronounced about the same. So we were probably mispronouncing it the whole time. But no, they're those, those are different people. Yeah, those people, they were like some conquerors in, in this part of the galaxy that uh, that uh, Calhoun came from. Right. And then in the first uh, four books of the New Frontier series, it, it ends with uh, basically that planet uh, going bye-bye. And that's why in the comic book series that we read uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, they were on New Talon. I thought it was Talon, but I might be wrong. Maybe, but it's not Tholian. Interesting. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure it was spelled the same way. We can go back and look. But yeah, they're definitely different different people. So anyways, what would you think of this issue? It's a fine issue. And by the way, I am looking back. But okay, um, I'll do that in between uh, talking about this issue. So, so yes, uh, I thought it was a very quick issue. It seemed to go very quickly. Um, the storyline didn't take that long to talk about, and it was a very fast pace. Action-packed. Um, I liked it, and I really liked that they brought Kaj back. Because, you know, we talked about it when he showed up uh, a couple issues ago that he was kind of like Pike's version of Khan, that he's going to kind of be his main bad guy throughout the the series. So I was really happy to see that he came back. 
And uh, he doesn't have his, his uh, injured hand anymore, it seems. Especially on the cover uh, of the comic, it shows Pike and Kaj fighting. So Kaj has a dagger and a disruptor. And both of his hands are very healthy. Yes. Oh, maybe that's not Kaj. Maybe that's supposed to be just the Klingon that he fights there on the Harvester. Could be. But if you look at his face on the cover, he looks yeah. like Kaj. Yeah, and it says right here, Pike and Kaj, mortal enemies. Yeah. So, uh... But it wouldn't be the first time we were misled a little bit in the uh, promo to make you think maybe something that wasn't 100% reality of the episode, just to be more exciting, more of a draw-in. Well, I mean, every every movie poster you've ever seen is a little guilty of that, don't you think? Yeah, I think many are. So aside from Kaj... uh, while you're looking up whatever you're looking up, uh, the uh, admiral that that contacts number one uh, and the one that I kept mispronouncing his name, he's a Andorian. So there's an Andorian admiral in Starfleet, and yet Spock is the very first Vulcan to ever join Starfleet, and yet Andorians have already moved up the ranks to admiral. Didn't that seem odd? Seems inconsistent. I mean, I know that from the very beginning in the, in the old original series, they always talked about how the Andorians were one of the you know one of the first members to join Starfleet. But you know, since since by the time this comic book came out, we've already had first contact the uh, the movie, so we already know that the Vulcans were the very first race that we ever actually met. So I find it hard to believe that that a Andorian would join Starfleet and move up the ranks before a Vulcan every day. Yep. Unless they really just hate us that much. Maybe well, that's what do you mean? The Vulcans? What do you mean? Yeah, the Vulcans. They definitely were thinking we were uh, stupid apes to some degree. Stinky stupid apes. Yeah, they, they, they always had a lot of contempt for the humans there in uh, Star Trek Enterprise. At least in the beginning seasons. They were yeah, they keeping didn't... us down, man. They were just keeping us down. They didn't start warming up to him until, what was that episode where Archer actually finds uh, Surox Katra or whatever? So I guess once he finds that, they're like, eh, I guess humans are okay. <laughs> As usual, we win them over eventually. Because we're such great, great people. That's right. So I really like this, this idea of a whole planet being just one big farm. I mean, it kind of ties in with, you know, more of a Star Star Wars type thing where one planet has one type of topography or whatever you, the word is uh, for the whole planet. So the whole planet is is one giant farm, kind of like on Star Wars where the whole planet is a desert or the whole planet is a forest. But uh, I like this idea. I like that uh, these people are just out there making the food that the, the Federation is going to eat. Then you would like that aspect of Halo, considering that harvest... A farming planet is one of the first places that uh, gets taken over by the Covenant. Yeah, I've never, I've only played the first game, uh, and I didn't finish it. And I never read any of the books that that's come out, or the comic books that have come out. The, it's the all, novels it's on, are surprisingly good. Yeah, it's on my list of things to do, but uh, yeah, once you find the time. Exactly, life keeps getting in the way. Darn it, especially that <laughs> job thing. Yeah, now if we could just not work and we could just read comic books and, and books all day, now that, that would be the life. Exactly. <laughs> Another comic I, or comment I have on this uh, issue is I thought it was rather odd. I didn't see where they explained it, but um, this was a long time ago. So Pike was taking a shuttlecraft 
from the space station. So he was actually going to Earth from the space station? Yeah, I couldn't figure that out either. Which, which seems pretty far distant for a shuttle. I mean, do shuttles have warp? I mean, in this time period, I know later they do, but in this time period, shuttles have warp drive? Well, I, I'm assuming they do, but, but yeah, I thought that there that the shuttle graphs had to be attached to like some sort of like warp sled or something in the old show. Ooh, a warp sled. Oh, cool. Well, remember how it Kind of like Star- episode two of uh, Star Wars? Obi-Wan's uh, oh, yeah, Jedi yeah, yeah. fighter? His little hyperdrive ring. Right, right. No, I, I'm getting this off of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Remember that Vulcan shuttle that Spock comes to the Enterprise in? Oh, yeah. And how yeah. it has to detach from this little warp sled so that it can then uh, oh, attach. Oh, is that what that was? I think that's what it's supposed to be, yeah. Oh, cool. Oh. And, I, and, and I might be wrong, but I always thought that that had some sort of callback to something that was in the original series, but I can't tell you what episode. Yeah, I, I don't remember anything like that, at least with shuttlecrafts. I mean, in the original series. Right, right. Good point, and uh, the encyclopedic mind of yours being able to pluck that uh, that, that little thing in, in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Quite good, quite good. Uh, but I don't remember that kind of thing happening in the original series, but so much has gone on since. Yeah, because I know in... in... Next Generation, they did it a few times, and I think they even did it in an episode of Vo- uh, Enterprise, where Archer was going back home for some reason. Uh, but in a flew- pod? Yeah, it was in a pod, and I didn't. I remember Oof. at the time. I remember at the time going, it doesn't make sense because the Enterprise was like the fastest ship ever, and it was only warp five, and 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 so you would think that the shuttle pod would not be able to go warp. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that's that's. Just, it, like in this book, it's just one of those things they gloss over, because especially in Archer's time, forget it! The, the warp engines were big. They couldn't fit that in one of those, one of those dorky little pods. Yeah, now I might, I, be, I, mis- I might be misremembering, but, but I remember that was my argument in my head when I was watching that episode back when right. it was coming on. I don't think I've ever seen it since it first aired. There you go. So I thought that was kind of uh, odd. That the shuttle would be able to do that. Did uh, you like the shuttle's name? Oh, I thought it was quite quite appropriate, considering what happened to it. <laughs> yeah, Icarus and his burning through the atmosphere. I thought exactly. that was pretty funny. Right. So uh, what would you think about this girl, Claire Thorne? Yeah, I, I think we're going to see her again. Yeah. I think she's going to pop up in the future. Yeah, I think I really liked her character. Yeah. And I, and I actually liked her outfit. And it looks... She's like wearing these gigantic pants that right. that don't even have like a, a you know any type of elastic or anything on the top, so it's only being held together by like this uh, uh, belt. Yep. So it looks kind of like she's wearing like a like a potato sack or something. But uh, but what's funny is that here on the first page, that first splash page where she's seeing the uh, the shuttlecraft crash and jumps into her um, little hovercraft. If you look at this old man that's sitting standing next to her, right to her right. He actually has like a little pipe of some sort, like a corn cob pipe or right, something like that. Right, right, right. Which I thought was odd because I don't, you know, they never use any type of stimulants or or any. I don't remember them ever smoking in the old Star Trek shows because you At know least... supposedly we advanced past that kind of stuff. Exactly. But colonists, come on, they can do what they want. Yeah, he's also wearing glasses, which which we don't ever see oh, until, until uh, Star Trek. Two, when they wanted to emphasize that Kirk was getting old and he had to have those uh, those antique glasses that McCoy gave him. For Voyage Home? Well, he has them in Voyage Home, but I think he gets them in Star Trek 2, doesn't he? Rathacon? Or does, he, or does yeah. he get them in Star Trek 3? 
Well, I, I, I thought he got it in four when it actually came in handy. So well, in the he beginning said, when when McCoy was visiting uh, Kirk for his birthday? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, see, I was thinking that he got him in two because, uh, the, you know, at the beginning it was all about how he was getting older. And then, you know, later on he finds out that he had a son and then Spock dies. And then that last – his last little line at the end was that he feels young. Right. Even yeah, you though might he, be right. Oh, yeah. Right. No, he did have the glasses because remember when he was going to get the Reliance uh, codes and he had to actually pull out the glasses oh, and has this little sheepish look? There you go. So so it was a two-movie tie-in, three-movie tie-in. Yeah. Brought up in two, comes in handy in uh, four. Well, that's, oh. why they call, that's why they call those episodes um, – the second, third, and fourth movie the, the Star trilogy. Trek trilogy for some reason. Uh, another point on on uh, on our new character here. I think she is uh, quite cool, and I especially like the part where all those uh, farmer guys were basically talking about turning Pike over to him, and then she says, "God, Cabot, how do you walk upright without a spine?" That's great. I like that. She's feisty. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I like her. I really like her character. Yeah. Yeah, I hope I hope she does come back. She can replace, uh, you know one of these other crew members before the end of the series. Yes, but not Colt. Not Colt. Of course not. No, so, no, 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 no. One of Donovan's favorites. Maybe she can replace uh, that Tyler guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let, let's, get a, let's get the female crew count up. There you go. Which I think they did in, quite a get, bit again with uh, New Frontiers. One last thing on Kaj is that he is one bad guy. I mean, he, he basically tells... Tells them to lock onto the signal of the Klingons down there and just start shooting to the planet. Right. And and just says, you know, I'll kill all my crew members down there, but uh, but at least I'll know I'll get Pike. And he does. I mean, it shows this huge laser from the ship hitting the planet, and you just see all these crew members just being vaporized. Exactly. And then the uh, the beam starts moving over, and 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 Pike is is being chased by it. So something like you would see in a in like an anime type movie where he's right. out out running a laser and then, then the, <laughs> the Enterprise shows up and and just starts blasting the uh, the the Klingon ship. Yeah, can Pretty you say good. just in the nick of time or what? Yeah, well, that's uh, they they fall back on that quite a bit, don't they? They do, they do. And I also will say that in this issue, I think they have some great artistry where people are getting uh, disintegrated. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. like, like, as you mentioned, uh, when there's one, two, maybe five, at least four Klingons getting zapped by Kaj on the planet's surface, it looks pretty cool how they're being disintegrated. And then, yeah, and then, uh, then Pike close to getting disintegrated. And then pages before where, um, where another Klingon gets disintegrated. Very cool looking uh, artistry there. Yeah, they're on the harvester. Yep. Yeah, it shows like three three Klingons getting vaporized there on the harvester in total. But that one uh, where he's like, you can like, still see the knife kind of floating in the air behind him. Right. Uh, pretty cool shot. Yeah. And, and then I think the shot where Kaj kills that guy that gave uh, the bad coordinates at the beginning. Right. Uh, that's a pretty cool shot too. That's too. I agree. I didn't really care for Kaj just suddenly saying, yes, that's what I always thought. And then he shoots the other guy. When he was about to, like, really tear into this guy, 
Um, and then he just, you know, this this woman just says, oh, it wasn't him, it was this other guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, I know it. Boom, shoots him. <laughs> I thought that was a little, like, uh, you know, something you would see in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with, uh, you know, Splint, uh, Shredder or whatever, you know. Right. Little Saturday morning cartoon is yeah. A little over the top. Yeah. So, Donovan, you're breaking up just a little bit? Okay, so is that it for number seven? I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. So, let's just launch right into issue number eight. Immortal Wounds. Wherein we discover uh, exactly what the problem is with Dr. Voice. And a multi-issue story arc comes to an end. So, um, the creative team, I believe, is identical, again, to every other uh, issue of this series. So I will not repeat them again. Uh, This particular one is September 1997. Published date... And we see uh, the cover showing Dr. Boyce with an intense, concerned look while straddling over a dead body. The spotlight on him shows, uh, it shows a menacing human shadow behind him. The call-out bubble shows Dr. Boyce saying, Heaven help me, I've just murdered my patient. Other lettering on the right side of the cover states, Dr. Boyce, killer. The inside cover uh, has a quick rundown, of course, uh, of the comic series, um, and also a brief bio of all the bridge crew, like usual. Uh, and the next page has a quick synopsis of the previous issue, which is the exciting Klingon fight that we just uh, heard all about. Um, okay, going into the story. The story opens on Nidia Prime, with three imposing-looking police officers with cool pistols drawn and angry, take-no-crap looks on their face. The lead officer named Magistrate Holen states he is arresting Dr. Boyce for first-degree murder. It's good to know that Earth penal terms survive well into the future. Dr. Boyce is accused of murdering Nartin Fane Drexler, apparently a leading citizen, and is taken away to prison. Pike and some of the crew, uh, crew being down to Nidia Prime to talk to Nurse Kaladi or Carlotti, who briefs Pike on who Drexler was and where the doctor was taken to. Spock and Pike go to the Central Judiciary Bureau. At the Bureau, Pike and Spock speak to Dr. Boyce, who confesses that he did kill Drexler and that they should not try to get him out of it. Next, they talk to Magistrate Holen, who shows the video evidence that shows the doctor clearly injecting Drexler with an overdose of metrazine the medicine used to treat the plague that they are uh, trying to uh, help the uh, inhabitants deal with. Next, Pike and Spock are introduced to Toluk, the Vulcan ambassador to Nidia Prime, who will be handling Dr. Boyce's defense. Toluk says that he remembers hearing of Spock, the only Vulcan to turn down an appointment to the Vulcan Science Academy. Spock says that was a decision he does not regret. regret. This decision is is covered quite well in the recent Star Trek movie. Meanwhile, Colt and Nurse Carlotti talk about the Doctor and their recent observations from some pretty strange behavior from the Doctor. They come to the conclusion that the Doctor has a real problem that that may be related to the murder. The story cuts to Boyce's jail cell, where he is confessing his mental issues to Ambassador Toluk. He says he finally lost control to those problems and killed a man. He asks Toluk to let him be. 
to Luke later says to Pike that there may be a defensive argument to be made for uh, dismissed responsibility due to mental illness. Later that evening, Boyce breaks out of jail with a madman's look on his face. He makes his way over the rooftops like a cat burglar to Toluk's home. Pike and crew are summoned by Magistrate Holen to the rooftop where Holen tells Pike of Dr. Boyce's escape. Holen wants to hunt Boyce down like a dog while Pike says he is sick and needs help. Spock receives a relayed call via the Enterprise from the Ambassador. Holen and his goon squad jump into the Magistrate's sky car and head to the Ambassador's uh, place. Holen, the Ambassador, and Boyce, head in hands, are in the Ambassador's home when Pike and company beam in. Holen's gun movements threaten to shoot Dr. Boyce, so Pike tackles him, wrestles, wrestles the gun out of his hands, and then for good measure punches him clean across the jaw. The Ambassador tells everyone to chill out, and goes on to explain that the doctor's condition is very relevant to his status as a murderer. The ambassador asks Spock to explain the Vulcan method of katra, or soul transference. Spock explains it with a dubious sound to his voice. The ambassador calls him on this lack of belief in the practice when Spock speaks of his practice of the Vulcan mind meld, but even that practice has limits and cannot be extended to the transference of a soul. Spike calls for an end to the, to the debate and asks the ambassador to tell him what this all has to do with Boyce. The ambassador explains it has everything to do with Boyce's mental agony that led to the tragic murder. He goes on to say that during a mind meld he had with the doctor, he discovered the events that led to the doctor taking on multiple people's katra into his body. Many years ago, when the doctor was a much younger man, he witnessed the crash of a ship while hiking alone in the wilderness. When he arrived at the crash site, he found the charred survivors of the crash very near death. They were so disfigured that he could not identify the species, but they reached out to him and transferred their katras to him before they died. They turned out to be Jultha Freeman, who had mental abilities similar to Vulcan's. They had escaped a raid by Orion Raiders. The leader of that Orion raid just happened to be Drexler. So the Jultan Katras in Boyce drove him to murder for vengeance. During the mind meld, the ambassador removed the Katras to a Jultan prayer gem that he just so happened to have. That he will re- and with it, he will return them to their homeworld to be laid to rest with their kin. In light of these new facts, apparently charges were dropped against Boyce. Spock asks the ambassador why he did not notice, why Spock himself did not notice the state of affairs during the years he served with Boyce. Toluk suggests that he is a better Starfleet officer than he is a good Vulcan, and suggests following the Kolinar to rectify the situation. Spock says he will consider it. Later, aboard the Enterprise, Pike enters the sick bay, booze in hand, to check on the doctor. Boyce talks about how quiet it is for him now without those crotras in his head. Pike says the quiet can be filled with the help of he and the crew. Pike asks Boyce what he'd like to talk about. The end. So. So now Pike is the bartender, and 
And boy, says the patient. Exactly. So, a friend helping a friend. But yes, definitely uh, switching roles over what we saw uh, in the cage. The original TV pilot. I did think it was funny. I, I didn't think about it until you mentioned it about uh, the ambassador just happened to have one of these uh, Jultha prayer crystals on him. Right. I didn't think about it when I was reading it, but but when you were reading it, I was like, boy, that's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the I think that that whole part there where he's explaining all the stuff that just so happened to happen to bring it to this to, to this particular uh, chain of events, I thought was really stretching it. Uh, but, you know, whatever. You go with it. You know, uh, overall, I think it's a good story, but uh, it got pretty complicated in there. Uh, I mean, you could always see the writers saying, okay, we got to have Boyce doing this, and he's got to have a motivation for doing this, and these guys that are in his head have to have a reason for killing Drexler and blah, 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 blah. And then they, they have to build this elaborate thing to explain all these circumstances. Um, so, I, mean, I, I thought it was good, but it, it did kind of stretch uh, credibility a bit at, at, at points. Right. Did the, uh, did the story sound familiar to you at all? Uh, was this perhaps uh, similar to the situation with Mr. Scott? Mr. Scott. Mr. Scott. On Rigel, by the way, I'm pretty sure it was on Rigel where Mr. Scott was accused of murder, and in the end, it turned out that Jack the Ripper was in him. And I might be wrong on the Rigel thing, but the main point is, they were on a planet, some shore leave going on, Mr. Scott ends up killing someone, and in the end, it's proved that it's a different consciousness was in there with Mr. Scott. Yeah, I kind of remember that. That was so one of the you, third season you, episodes, right? Uh, I... I don't think it was third. I think it was more like second. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, third season really was not good. Uh, and this was not the best of episodes. But uh, I think it was maybe first or second. Probably second season. Well, whatever. Mm. So what were you going to say? If you remember back uh, when we <laughs> when we, when we we uh, were doing some of uh, the Gold Key issues, I think it was issue, episode number three. We reviewed uh, Gold Key Star Trek uh, uh, issue number four, which was called The Peril of the Planet Click Change. And in that one, uh, Spock was inhabited by several uh, spirits. Or, uh, and, and then you know they were giving him extra strength, and he was kind of acting weird. And then eventually all the spirits left him. Right. Uh, except for one, and then the rest of the series or the rest of that issue, he's like really acting weird, and he's like uh, beating his head up against the wall and things like that. <laughs> and, and eventually, he has to go to the transporter, and he basically beams himself into two different places. and And what happens is that it the that that beaming basically ripped this uh, this spirit out of his mind and, and healed him that way. You remember that one? I remember it. Although I tried to get the gold keys out of my mind. Well, I thought that one was actually pretty good. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, it kind of tied in with this. I thought, well, that, that's kind of kind of interesting that it's pretty similar. Except, you know, not exactly similar. but it was... No, similar themes. Crew member getting taken over, doing bad things. Although I, I will also stand by my, uh, my Mr. Scott one. I don't remember the I don't remember the uh, name of that episode. I'm sure there's people out there listening right now. Actually, if anyone does listen to this, that are saying, "Oh yeah, blah 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 blah." I, I know. Don't they'll know the episode. 
Now, did this did this story go where you thought it was going to go? Uh, with the whole doctor being crazy and then ends up, you see the, the, the cover and it basically says that he's the killer? Well, I mean, when this when we first saw, saw the story arc, I mentioned it to you before, uh, I thought he had a symbiote in him or, or something. Uh, but he, had, he obviously had something else inside of him, whether it was purely mental or whether it was a symbiote inside of him, like, uh, like, uh, like we've seen in multiple kinds of episodes uh, of the TV series, different TV series. Um, I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, well, when I was reading it, and and you know, you have uh, you have Boyce basically saying, "Yeah, I did it." Um, you know, I'm a bad guy. Put me away. I, I kind of thought maybe they were really going to get rid of him and bring in the uh, the doctor named Piper. Oh, so if uh-huh. you you remember in oh, like yeah. uh, where no man has gone before, right. uh, McCoy's not there, and there's a Doctor Piper. Right. So I thought, oh, this is awesome. This is how they're going to bring in a, the Doctor Piper that eventually McCoy is going to take over. And, right. And I thought, oh, that's cool that you know Piper maybe spent his last few years of Pike's captaincy, you know, with him before he did his one episode with uh, Kirk. <laughs> which is another interesting thing because the original order in which they showed episodes uh, began with the salt vampire. Um, right, what, the man trap? Man trap, that's it. Which was clearly a McCoy episode. I mean, he, yeah, he well. was very, very prominent in that in that script. And then the second episode was um, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Right, yeah, the airing order was out of order. Right. But I think that was pretty common back then. That they, they, I mean, not even back then. Even Firefly, uh, Fox, for whatever reason, showed them out of order because they wanted the more exciting ones to come first. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah, so when you watched them in order Travers. when they were they were coming on, you were like, what the heck is this? And then the next episode, they explain who River is and, all, and why she's on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, they, uh, Fox That's wanted that. That's way out of order. Yeah, Fox wanted that train heist one right. to be the first episode, uh, and I think I think it might just I think it might be like the third episode. So they were really showing them out of order, right? Uh, because they wanted to to grab people in uh, with the most exciting episodes first, right? Which uh, we won't go there because that, that was another good series that I think got canceled way too early. Oh, you ain't kidding! I, I really enjoyed that that series, and I very much enjoyed the movie. Yeah, too bad they didn't really leave it open for. Uh, more sequels, or... I think they did. Yeah, but not with all all the folks. I mean, well, it was... they killed off some folks. They wanted to show they were serious. This was serious stuff. So it was like, yeah. like three different main characters got killed off, but that's a different podcast. Yeah. All right, one last thing I have on this issue uh, is... Again, it's another Star Trek II reference. So... I don't know why the writers are bringing so much of Star Trek II into the, these couple issues. So last week we had, uh, you know, basically the Defiant and that whole, I mean not Defiant, uh, Reliant and that whole drop the shields and all that good stuff. Right. And then in this one we basically talking about Katras and Spock gets the first idea of, hey, I could put my Katra into somebody if I ever die, uh, which obviously he does in Star Trek II. So, I mean, I love Star Trek II as much as the next guy, but... I don't necessarily need to see, you know, where the origin of, of some of those uh, ideas were came from. <laughs> true, true. But they're 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 explaining a lot of different things in this series. So, 
but yeah, I, I you know enough with enough with uh, <laughs> enough with Star Trek Two already. Right. But, but I, I I do like how they're 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 obviously the writers are very into the series. So in the same oh. way that the true writers of Star Trek Eleven, the, the the movie, who I I call it Star Trek Eleven, they don't, but um. You know, those two guys really knew Star Trek and obviously read some of these comics uh, or maybe other literary sources. Because uh, definitely where they're talking about, uh, you know, where Spock meets the ambassador and they refer back to uh, Spock being the only Vulcan to turn down a, a commission to the Science Academy. Uh, I mean, maybe that was mentioned someplace else. Um, but I had not heard that before until I saw Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek Eleven until I saw the movie. Um, was it was it not mentioned in Journey to Babel where you know Sarek basically talks bad about Spock to Amanda or whatever? Well, I, I don't remember that. I mean, it's very possible. And and, and I kind of thought, wow, that was such a prominent piece of the movie. Did they really get it from a comic book? Doesn't seem doesn't seem logical that that's where they would the source material would be. Uh, if that was the case, and obviously they're really fans because they're reading comics too, but um, I guess it would make more sense that it was mentioned uh, further in the past. I just don't remember that from from Journey to Babel. Yeah, and I really I don't remember either. I just remember that was the big one that had a lot of the backstory, right, of Spock's childhood. Yep. Yep. A- aside from you know the animated episode yesteryear where we actually get to see Spock yes. as a little boy, but yes. that's that's way before he's. Uh, going to do the the colonar or whatever it is right now because i thought that he in the original timeline uh he didn't contemplate doing the colonar until uh after the five-year mission with kurt and then that's why he has all the long hair and and uh and things there in star trek the motion picture because he was about to do the the colonar where he purges all his emotions Right. But that's a good point. I never thought about it. I, I did think about it in the movie that I thought it was a little odd that he was doing it so young. But, but you're right. Maybe it is. Uh, maybe they got it from here. Who knows? I have two more things quickly. Uh, number one, I think uh, Magistrate Holden and his officers have a pretty cool looking pistols. I like those. Uh, uh, I, I don't know whether, in some small way, they might have been inspired by the uh, Space 1999 uh, pistols. But uh, these are cool. They're very vertical. You know, so so the muzzle is like a, a really long. Uh, I mean, it almost looks like a bar of soap or something. I mean, it's so that that that's held vertical. It's uh, I think they're cool looking. Yeah, and it looks like it comes right out of their fist, kind of like like it's not really a gun, but more like like the hilt of the gun. Well, it, it's like spa- it's it's a little like the Space 1999 pistols, which I thought take, were pretty cool designs. I have to take your word for it because I don't think I ever saw an episode of Space 1999. Oh. Not the greatest series in the world, but still pretty doggone good. I've heard good things about it, and I've uh, I've actually heard the the opening theme song, and uh-huh. <laughs> it's a little it's a little odd that you know it sounds like a little disco-y there for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but no, I've never bow, seen an episode. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, Space Nineteen Ninety Nine worth watching an episode, if nothing else, to see the video communicators they used with very TV-like tubes in them and their their lasers, which is a very unique shape. Uh, I'll have to look that up. I know that they've released those on DVD, and every once in a while I see them at the store, but uh, I've never, I never thought to buy them or anything because I, I don't remember it. But I might Netflix it and 
and watch an episode or two. But Another... these oh. the outfits in general that the magister magistrate Holton wears, mm-hmm. I think those actually look pretty cool. Hey, you look good. They look like they're like some sort of leather type outfit that has like right. the like the the I don't know what you would call it, but the, the breast of the jacket actually goes across to their shoulder and right. looks pretty cool with the it's all black and red. Big old wide shoulders, even Pretty more sad. so than next gen. What do you mean? Uh, next gen uniforms, unusually wide in the shoulders. They're built up in the shoulders. Uh, with the shoulder pads or something? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I, I can't, I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah, it looks great. I mean, it looks like, uh, it looks like the future equivalent of a three-piece suit. You know, a very, very nice uniforms. I love, always love next gen uniforms. Uh, after they got rid of the jumpsuits. But, um... So you mean like the gray ones, right? The gray no. and black ones? No, not at all. The regular red and black ones. Okay. So not the jumpsuit ones. When they got rid of the jumpsuits, which always look kind of dorky to me, but they had, you know, the tunics, the shoulders are built up. They go out wider than they should. Plus, supposedly, as uh, the actress uh, who played Imzadi had Marie, said... Marie Sentis or whatever the, her name is? Maria Skirtis or, well, whatever. Yeah. So I saw her at a Star Trek convention, and she and she she said, uh, just to let everybody know, a little secret: our boys wear special T-shirts. So you know, so 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 they wore special T-shirts that kind of padded them up a little bit. Yeah, I, I saw like a behind-the-scenes thing where they were showing Michael Dorn getting uh, suited up, and right. and he was definitely wearing uh, some some padding. <laughs> You are that muscular Worf. And speaking of Worf, just a completely side note. Um, I was listening to the commentary of First Contact, which had Jonathan Frakes uh, doing the the commentary. And he was saying that – being the director. Yeah, of course. And it was actually really funny because he he definitely has a sense of humor and he can make fun of himself. And and, uh, it was was definitely worth a listen if you you, – I'm sure you have the DVD, so you should listen. Oh, I do. But he was talking about how – Michael Dorn, uh, the the bridge of his nose uh, is completely without pigmentation anymore because of that spirit gum that they applied to oh, for really? that for that makeup. Oh, really? And it said that because he wore it every day for so many hours every day that he now has like a a little spot that just doesn't even uh, have any pigmentation anymore. So when he was on uh, Heroes, uh, not not that far in the past, he's got some little black makeup. I'm assuming that he probably huh. has to always put that little bit of black makeup on there. Huh. Oh, that's something. But then it, it got me thinking, and, and I, I, I can't take credit for this. This is my wife. But she was like, I wonder if that's why most of the Klingons ever on Star Trek were really white guys. Uh, because, <laughs> you know, Galron was really this white, you know, this weird-looking white guy. Yeah. And, you know, Christopher Lloyd, obviously, in Star Trek Three. Sure. So, But I think... You know, I'm wrong about this because definitely Gal Run was a white guy, but I think in Next Gen they tended towards using a lot of uh, uh, yeah, like like Tony Todd was his brother. I thought that, that was definitely a good one. right. Tony Todd's a great actor. Is he? anything anything he's in? I'm like because he 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 played uh, old Jake in one episode of Deep Space Nine, probably really? one of my favorite episodes of Deep Space Nine ever. Huh. And uh, he plays an old Jake who's, uh, you know, he's like 80 years old or something. And, and he's basically telling the story about how he lost his father when he was a little boy. 
And uh, basically, throughout that episode, uh, it's called The Visitor. And throughout that episode, uh, he's talking about how uh, basically Cisco's lost in some um, dimension type thing. And he only pops up like every few years for like one day or, or just a few hours. Oh, and uh, man, it is it is such a good episode. It is so good. But Tony Todd obviously was uh, he was uh, he was in the Candyman, and he was in the remake of Night of the Living Dead and things like that. He's he's a really good actor. Oh, cool! I didn't know that. Okay, I I just want to mention one more thing, um, and let's see if you agree with this or not, because you might not. But um, there's a spaceship in the air over the. Um, over the uh, let me see what's the exact name of it uh, the bureau the central judiciary bureau so uh, there is a shot just before um, you know an establishing shot uh, where you're gonna where the next panel is going to show um, the ambassador and dr. Boyce talking for the first time about his predicament anyway so this is like maybe I don't know maybe 10 pages in or something like that. But if you can find that page, I think that'd be good. Uh, so it's a very long, narrow shot, which really is the full length of the page, but very yeah. narrow. And yeah. at the top, there's a spaceship heading over the t- – or some kind of airship uh, passing over the top uh, of the Huskow. I'm sorry. That looks like the Delta Flyer from underneath. So I think – I propose to you that the Delta Flyer did a guest, star- guest starring appearance in this. Yeah, it does. It does look like the bottom of the Delta Flyer. Right. I mean, Which, of it, course, is, is totally wrong uh, from a time standpoint and a place standpoint, but still, I just thought I'd mention that. Well, I don't know, because remember, uh, I think it was the Delta Flyer with uh, with uh, Paris uh, flying it that, that, oh, that actually yeah. reached Warp 10. And they mentioned that it, that if you reached Warp 10, you would be in every place at every time. <laughs> So wow. maybe this is him. Maybe this is him popping in to this this time. You know, I I, I think the Tribble agrees. <laughs> okay, thank you, Miss Tribble. Yeah, I'm totally stretching there, but it it does look like the Delta Flyer. Cool. Okay, that's all I had to say about that one. I thought your last thing you were going to say, and we kind of missed it in the synopsis, but uh, when the crew is all talking about how they need to stand by Boyce and they're going to potentially lose him, Tyler. Uses that opportunity to hit on uh, Yeoman Colt. Is that that's in this issue, right? Uh, yes, it is. It is, a- and and I and I thought that was kind of a, an interruption to the to the storyline. Although it kind of goes in. I mean, I mean, it's obviously triggered by what's that by the events that are going on in the story. But I I, I figured I'd edit it out to some kind of long with it as it is. And yeah. what does Colt do? When she shoots him down. She shoots shoots him him down. down. He is flaming and hitting the ground. (laughs) I just thought it was funny. And you're right. It's completely random. But I'm assuming that it's probably going to come back up, you know, that he has this crush on her or whatever. Yeah. It's a setup for the future. I I, I agree with you. All right. So you want to go in? And, of course, why did she she, uh, flame him? Because she thinks that everybody should focus on Dr. Boyce. No. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because she only has eyes for that burning hunk of captain. 
<laughs> That's right, I forgot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hunk of Captain that she that... and uh, Number One have similar tastes in. Exactly. Exactly. So there you go. Oh, that's funny. All right. So you ready to do issue number nine? Let's do nine. All right. So issue number nine came out October '97, called One of a Kind. It's the first time I think that there's been a change. So in the uh, the credits, so Ian uh, Edginton, Dan Abnett, still the writers. Mari Jarvin, still the colorist. Uh, Janice Chang is the letterer. Uh, the editor is uh, still Bobby Chase. Editor-in-chief, Bob Harris. Uh, inker is Greg Adams. And then the big change is Mike Collins is now the guest penciler. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, not, not to disrespect, you know, Mike Collins, but you can tell that there's a change in the art because... Uh, uh, the people don't, to me, don't look quite like uh, they did in the in the uh, Cage episode. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know why uh, Patrick. Or I forgot who the first guy is, but I don't know why he didn't come back for this issue. But he comes yeah. back next issue. Patrick Zercher. Zercher, that's it. Maybe he had to go someplace. Yeah, Maybe. Uh, we'll talk more about that. But uh, there's definitely, uh, especially some shots of Pike where he is a lot leaner and a little more. Uh, triangular shaped. Yeah, and uh, well, a, we'll talk a about it later. Beefier. It's a little beefier in the uh, previous ones. Yeah, and Spock looks a little off a time or two. But anyways, let's, let's get uh, straight into the story. So, on the planet Lyra, an elderly, I guess you would call him a Lyrian? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. He's uh, lighting a candle using his pyrotechnic powers, and he is attacked and engulfed by flames... Uh, by this disembodied head. All right, so then we flash to the Enterprise. Nano is receiving a message from the Federation uh, that basically informs him that he must return to Lyra ASAP and that he will remain there forever to keep the perfect uh, balance in the population. And he explains this to Number One and also Pike that, you know, um, basically if one if somebody dies unexpectedly since Nano was the only extra Lyran ever cre- conceived, that he must return to uh, equal out the population. And we'll talk about that later because it seems a little weird. All right, so uh, the crew discussed the uh, you know possibility of replacements and going away parties and things like that. Uh, Sita uh, confesses that uh, her father was part of the original first contact mission that uh, went to Lyra and uh, basically convinced them to conceive this extra person to send out into the world or send out into the galaxy. So for some reason she feels guilty uh, that you know her father mm, somehow was responsible for putting Nano into this position. All right, so they arrive to the Lyra, and the bridge crew are granted permission to beam down with Nano and, and say their farewells, and then actually do some little sightseeing. Uh, Nano starts training uh, with the Force, I mean, for, for lack of a better term. I mean, he's like trying to lift rocks and stuff, uh, and he's not able to lift rocks as well as he should because he's, you know, he, he's out of practice. So he's lifting this rock, and it basically falls. And Pike and Spock able to quick draw and shoot the rock before it crushes somebody. Uh, Sita and Tyler are visiting a farmer. I'm assuming it's a farmer. They're doing something with plants. Uh, when suddenly the farmer is engulfed in flames and Sita sees the disembodied head that we saw earlier. Uh, the, the crew are discussing what happened and Nano arrives and he basically agrees to participate in a, um, 
in an experiment so that he can try to uh, link into the group consciousness. Uh, and so in order to do this, he's hooked up with this psionic amplifier. So while he's linked into the consciousness, he discovers that there's this, this shared fear of the unknown, and that's what's actually causing these deaths. Just as he makes this revelation, uh, a group of Lyran bust in, and then uh, they basically claim that Nano somehow um, violated the, the, the privacy of, of the, the population. And suddenly they're attacked by the flaming face that we see earlier. So Pike and Spock start shooting it with phasers. It doesn't hurt it. Uh, but then Sita throws the psionic amplifier into it, and it disappears. Uh, in the aftermath of all this, uh, Nano uh, says that he's going to be able to return back to the Enterprise as long as he comes back from time to time to share his experiences uh, of the unknown with his people so that they can get over this crippling fear that's actually somehow causing people to spontaneously combust. And that's the end. Not probably the least great of the issues we've seen so far. Out of the nine so far, I would agree. I mean, it, it's still not bad. I still enjoyed it. Yep. Uh, still a heck of a lot better than Paper Mache Paris. I think Paper Mache Paris has its place. But I, I do find it a little weird that, and and they try to explain it, but, but then they kind of don't. I mean, he basically is told to come back to Lyra because one guy died. Right. And because this one guy died, the, the population is out of balance. They even make a comment that, you know, it would be like a, computer program running with one line of code suddenly disappearing. But, I mean, does nobody ever crash? You know, is there no car crashes on this planet? Does nobody ever get sick? I just don't understand how one person suddenly dying is going to throw off a whole population. Right. But then you see that a lot more people are dead. Exactly. That's what I was going to get at. When he gets there, he actually says at least three people have died. And I'm thinking, well... Nano is only one dude, you know. He's only, <laughs> he's only going to replace one line of that code. So what happens right. to the other two lines that are missing? I agree. I agree. And then the farmer dies, and then you know all that other stuff happens, and you're just like, okay, I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> yeah, just go with it. That's best. So obviously they got used to the idea of there being a few lines of missing code uh, because Nano leaves, which is of course for the best. Come on, you got to. You, you knew he was going to be back on the ship. Well, you didn't know that. I mean, because oh, we're all in, this is unknown territory. Like <sighs> I said, I thought Boyce was going to get really written off the the show in the last issue. So okay, and what happened? He came back. Okay, and so did, now you thought Nana was going to leave, and what happened? He came back, and a few issues ago, uh, Kusak left, and well, uh, yeah, he, you're right about that one. There you go. Now that one is stuck for now. For now, they'll bring him back somehow. They're going to put his do a clone it, from his DNA. It's a comic book. My wife always makes fun of me because, you know, in comic books, superheroes are, and characters are dying all the time. And, and I'll tell her, you know, oh, this is sad because this is the one where Flash dies or whatever. And she's like, yeah, is he still dead? I'm like, no, but that's not the point. <laughs> well, what about Spock? Yeah, Spock. What about back. Doctor Who? What about uh, Captain Kirk? Captain but that's in those lame-ass uh, William Shatner novels. That's not in the real stuff. They're still good, though. So don't you think that Spock and Pike are a little shoot-happy in this one? <laughs> Especially when they're when they're blowing to bits that 
huge long long rock that or obelisk or whatever that uh, Nano was uh, using tel- telekinesis on. Yeah. yeah, so it's it starts wobbling, starts to fall over, and what does Spock and, and Pike do? They just whip out their phasers and shoot it. <laughs> and they blast it to bits so that nothing big enough that could hurt anybody was a factor in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but That's then when right. the when the face shows up at the uh, towards the oh, end, yeah. they, they do blast the same, it. Like, shoot it! It doesn't do anything. What did you think it would? <laughs> Come on, look at it. It's like a flame face or something floating around. Yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of the flame face. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> and people spontaneously combusting just because they were afraid of the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, like I said, it wasn't horrible. All right, and you notice that the Enterprise is the uh, correct Pike Enterprise? I see the nipples, yep. And uh, are there events in the... Yes, there are events. You must be a happy uh, man. I am, and and, uh, as we were recording it last week, I mentioned that my toy (laughs) of the uh, Captain Pike Enterprise was on its way, and and sure enough, when I got home, there it was. Excellent. And my wife was laughing at me when I was like, yeah, I was just telling Ken that... uh, that this was on its way, and, and he was giving me a hard time about the nipples. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was she was sharing your thoughts. She was like, "Well, why are they there? <laughs> <laughs> They're antenna." Well, what about that big old antenna and the deflector dish? Come on. Which I always thought that was that was a radio antenna, but when I was a kid, the, the little parabolic lens at the end of the at the fuselage or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. But no, it's a deflector dish. There you go. Yep. So anything else on this one before we uh, keep on moving? No. Let's let's move on. Let me just go back and say that um, you are, of course, correct as always, Donovan. So in the uh, New Frontier series, the Empire is called the Thelonian. Not Tholian. Thelonian. So, yes, that is my mistake on misinterpreting similar names being the same race of yep. conquerors and bad guys. It happens. Don't don't beat yourself up. I won't. All right, so uh, our next little section is always called uh, Elsewhere in Star Trek. Uh, so this is, what was it again? August through October of 1997. Indeed. So, um, you know, obviously Marvel was, was pumping out the uh, the comic books. Um, we won't go into those, but uh, the uh, the first series of the New Frontier novels, uh, it, it, novel number three and four, which ended the uh, the first story arc, came out in August. Uh, I was buying those up. I was I was not reading the comic books at this time uh, in my life uh, when these were coming out, but I was reading all these novels. I mean, I I lived for these novels to come out, and I would just grab them up. Uh, there was an original uh, series novel called Vulcan's Forge, which was pretty good, mm-hmm. uh, which had which was kind of a flashback. It, it kind of annoys me because there's a character in that that's basically um, wow. I drew a blank. What's Spock's brother's name in Star Trek Five? Oh, um, I don't remember. But okay, that guy. Okay. Yeah, basically, there's a character, and he is that guy. He's this. Vulcan that's that's you know giving up the uh, emotion restraint and he's embracing their past and all this stuff except nowhere in the novel uh, which is based like when Spock was young 
nowhere in the novel does it ever mention Spock's brother doing almost the exact same thing. In fact, it never mentions that he even has a brother. And I kept thinking, this would have been a really good opportunity to actually kind of retcon the brother into this this flashback uh, story arc. But they didn't. It was just this other character, this other uh, weird prophet guy. Right. Anyways, overall, the story was good, though. Uh, there was a, a series of three novels called Voyager Starfleet Academy, uh, which were about Captain Janeway when she was in Starfleet. Huh. Uh, I thought they were young adult books at first, but then when I looked into them, they're actually not, but I, I've never read any of those. Uh, a Deep Space Nine book called Legends of the Ferengi came out in August, which I've heard is really good, but I've never read. And then the uh, the other big novel series that was coming out was a... Uh, a tie-in to a Voyager episode called The Day of Honor. Do you remember that one? No, where, uh, not by title. Was, yeah, it was basically one where B'Elanna was like going through this Day of Honor. It's a Klingon ritual. Uh, uh, so basically what Pocketbooks did uh, to celebrate this this idea was that they released uh, an epi- uh, a novel based in the Next Generation timeline, the Deep Space Nine timeline, the Voyager timeline, the original series timeline, uh, all based on this day of honor. So in, in each of those novels, uh, you know, the, the Klingon, the main Klingon of that storyline uh, is going through this day of honor or celebrating this day of honor. Uh, so in, like in the original series novel, it's uh, Kang, you know, Kirk's nemesis in like Trouble with Tribbles and things like that. And um, I haven't read all of them, but I've read like one or two, and, and they're actually pretty good. And then the last book that came out in October that wasn't tied into this uh, Day of Honor thing uh, was the uh, original, or excuse me, the Next Generation uh, novel Ship of the Line. Have you ever read this one? I like the sound of it. It's basically the very first Sovereign-class ship that comes off the line. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was supposed to be lined up to be the Enterprise-E. Right. But basically, through the course of the story, uh, it basically ends up going to... Uh, Captain Bozeman, who, or I'm sorry, Captain Morgan, okay. who was uh, the Kelsey Grammer character in that oh. one episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Sure. Uh, and he, it's the ship's called the Bozeman. Mm-hmm. So, I remember I really enjoyed that book. And then the last like page of the book is like a um, just some uh, dialogue that's actually in Star Trek: First Contact, where you can hear. Uh, Somebody talking about the Bozeman being there and being attacked by the Borg and actually blowing up. So it actually, like, you know, you read this book about the Bozeman and then you read this last page, which is actually, you know, dialogue, background dialogue in the movie. And it basically talks about how the Bozeman is being destroyed by the Borg cube before Picard decides to turn around and go back over there. So it was actually a really good book. If you, if you, uh, if you like it, it's called Ship of the Line. Ship of the Line. Yeah. And uh, the cover has, like, the, a picture of, um, you know, Kelsey Grammer and uh, Picard. And I think it has a picture of the Enterprise-E or the Sovereign-class ship. I guess right. it's supposed to be the Bozeman, but it's a good book. I liked it. Excellent. Excellent. So, like I said, lots of novels coming out during this time. This was a, a heyday for um, Star Trek. That's it. So... Cool. So next next issue we're going to be doing what we're going to do uh, we're going to continue on uh, our voyage with Pike. I think so. Uh, we could talk uh, about other possibilities too. 
but uh, later. But uh, I think if we don't come up with something better, let's keep on going. Yeah, I wouldn't mind finishing this whole series out because I'm how many uh, issues? Uh, Seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. Right. So there's really only eight more. Eight more issues. <laughs> only eight more. So that you know, that's th- that's three more of our episodes. Yeah, but okay. We're gonna have to get to them anyways, and we might as well finish the storylines while they're all fresh because they Let's are building it. on each other. Let's do it. And I want to see if that Tyler ends up, uh, you know, flirting with uh, Colt a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> and then so, he gets killed off, right? I'm sure he does, just like the previous boyfriend. So it's probably a combination of her having only uh, eyes for Captain Pike. And also, maybe she feels a little guilty or something oh, about because... about the other boyfriend that she eighty sixed, and uh, he ends up dying. Oh wow! Who, I didn't was even... also, I didn't... who was also a blonde boy? Yeah, he looked like uh, like Johnny Storm. Yeah, exactly. Bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, did, I did not even think about that. You're right. So she might have uh, some commitment issues because of what happened with him. Right. You're 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 seeing all the little things that I'm missing. Well, well. Yes, and and mistaking Thelonians for Tholians. That's it why happens. we're both here, man. We're we're covering different areas, different sides of the court. Can you complete me? Oh, that's scary. Okay, that 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 sounded a little. Mini uh... me, mini me, you complete me. <laughs> now that was a classic film. Not yeah, science fictiony, it... but well, it... well, I guess it was, was at the end. He did have a Death Star. <laughs> and he was going to destroy the White House with a laser. That's right. So that's sci-fi. And he did want some lasers on sharks. So, uh, all right. So let's go ahead and close this one off, Ken. We're going okay. a little long. Just a little, but we tend to. So hopefully uh, hopefully somebody's reading, watching these or reading them or listening. listening to them. Okay. Sounds good. Episode 15 comes to a close. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.